For streaming, creating, gaming, and more, power your passions for less during Dell's exceptional Cyber Savings event. Enjoy up to $400 off stunning laptops like the XPS, along with high-performance desktops and next-level Alienware systems, redefining what's possible with 10th-gen Intel Core processors. Shop special prices on top-brand electronics and accessories, plus enjoy free shipping on everything. Don't forget to ask for Intel when you call 1-800-BUY-DELL. That's 1-800-BUY-DELL. Good morning. It is January 14th, 2020. This is the Pat McAfee Show. Pat is currently in New Orleans, Louisiana, calling the national championship between Clemson and LSU. Um, It's an incredible game, uh, an absolute dogfight between two outstanding teams. And the Superdome is absolutely rocking tonight. And if I had to venture a guess, I'd say that most people that have a clue that are at that game probably got their tickets from our friends at SeatGeek. Because SeatGeek gives the best ticket buying experience you can possibly find. You're not going to get catfish. SeatGeek looks through at all the different seats and they're always going to give you the best bang for your buck. Didn't get a chance to go to the national championship last night. That's fine. We still got conference championship football in the NFL next weekend. The NBA is going on. The NHL is going on. College basketball is starting to heat up. Treat yourself to an experience and go see something live with SeatGeek. Right now, if you use promo code PAT on your first SeatGeek purchase, you're going to get $10 off your purchase. Wow, unbelievable. Or use promo code McAfee and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Have a little self-awareness. If you don't quite have the funds, you know, and you're on the come up right now, use code McAfee, get $20 off your purchase. If you're a little bit more comfortable, your wallet's a little fatter, go ahead and use Pat and get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You're alive, but are you living? Go see something live with SeatGeek. We got a great show for you today. Let's get to it. This past weekend of football was awesome. I enjoy these one game on at a time, then the next game, then the next game, then the next game, because all season I stare at six televisions trying to track everything, and it's very difficult to keep everything in place. I don't watch the red zone because the red zone was created by terrorists. They eliminated the punter. You can't just eliminate a human and act like I'm going to be okay with it. It's positionism, and it's outright wrong, and that's why I don't watch the red zone. I like to watch all the games. I like to watch the flow of the game, and that's why these last couple weeks I have absolutely been in my heaven. Now, yesterday, our plane landed in New Orleans as that Chiefs-Texans game kicked off. We were watching the game on Evan Fox's phone, and I have never, and I mean ever, seen anything like that football game right there. Texans come out, throttle, throat stomp, curb stomp, you name it, none of us could have guessed it. I was thinking in my head, oh no, the bye week got another team. Just like they got the Ravens, which we'll talk about with the Titans here momentarily, I thought that was going to happen to the Chiefs. This dynamic football team, this team that didn't make a lot of mistakes all year, this team that has these playmakers in every single aspect of the game came out a little bit flat. Special teams was terrible for both sides. It was massive. And then Billy O'Brien, Bill (laughs) O'Brien. 
Brian. <laughs> Somehow, someway, lost a playoff game in which he was up 24 <laughs> nothing, And not just lose the game, he lost by 20. That is a 44-point swing. 40. 44-point swing in one ball game. 28-point or... 28-point swing in one quarter, and it all revolves around the special teams. All of it. On fourth and one there, when they were up 21, had a chance to make it a four-point. Well, it would have been a four-score game no matter what, but they could have made a 28-zip in the red zone. Fourth and one. They call a timeout. Everybody assumes that they're just going to go ahead and step on the throat, but instead... Bill O'Brien decides to kick a field goal. I don't hate it, right? Get some points. But what Bill O'Brien said after the game was he didn't have a play ready. Yo, it's a divisional round, bro. It's the second quarter. Who doesn't have a play ready week 19 of an NFL season in the second quarter? He says, well, I thought it was a first down. I didn't have a play ready. We decided to kick the field goal. Okay, no harm, no foul. We can make sense. Then later in the same quarter, Fourth and four on your own 30. You decide to run a fake punt, which ultimately gets stuffed, which gives the ball to Patrick Mahomes in scoring position already. Bingo, bango. That leads to the Chiefs coming back and making this miraculous run. Andy Reid, only coach in NFL history to be up 20 points in a playoff and lose a game. And the only coach that has been down 20 points in a playoff game and win the game. That is what Andy Reid is, though. He has the ability to take over games. His plays are magnetic. His plays are majestic. And everybody thought in the first quarter of that game that Andy Reid's season was back. It was always been a topic of conversation that Andy Reid has no discipline. Now, now I'm not saying for off the field that people can say whatever they want. I'm talking about on the field. The, goal, the thing that was said is Andy Reid uses all of his plays and that by the time you make it to the playoffs, they have no plays left. So everybody knows exactly what they're going to do. They get stumped. Boom, boom. Last year, they were one offsides away from D Ford to go into the Super Bowl. So we thought this was different. First quarter of this game, the internet was a buzz. There was Walrus Andy Reid photos. There was this guy doesn't know how to win in the playoffs. This guy will forever stink. Hi, this is Andy Reid. He wears Air Force Ones. He's really good during the regular season, but will never get you the big one. All these things are being said about Andy Reid. All of these things were being said about Patrick Mahomes and how great he was all season, but just couldn't get it done here in the playoffs. And then, whammy, that fake punt gets stuffed by Sorensen. A fake punt that they should have checked out of, by the way. Justin Reed, who was the personal protector, his job is a hard one. His job is to tell the center to go right or left on the blocking scheme, depending on how many people are lined up on the right or on the left. His job is to decide who's coming, who's not going. And then he was walking back, pacing, to see if the look was there for him to take that ball and run with it. And what people have to know is a lot of times there are fake punts that are called that are checked out of. I ran two fake punts in the NFL, three fake punts in the NFL, four fake punts in the NFL. <laughs> Okay, three of them success. Nope, two of them successful, two massive failures. But there was like six or seven other times that there was a fake punt called or an onside kick called that I checked out of due to the fact of not having the look. I think Justin Reed, who was the personal protector, who was put in that position by Brad Seeley, the special teams coach of the Houston Texans, who's been coaching special teams in the NFL since 1989. 
I think the conversation was, hey, if you have a guy spying you, like Sorensen clearly was, you check out of that, we punt the ball back, we're still up two scores, no harm, no foul. Instead, Justin Reed says, nah, dog, give me the ball. I can outrun that white guy right there, <laughs> get a first down, keep Deshaun Watson on the field, let's build on this lead that we have. And he was completely wrong. Momentum completely changes in that moment. There was a lot of other things that happened before that, but what happened after that was nothing short of miraculous with what Patrick Mahomes, that offense, and even the Chiefs defense were able to do. To rattle off 49 points in a 44-point swing in one game and have zero doubt, zero question, and just absolutely slaughter the Texans, I mean, that's just a statement game by the Chiefs to say, hey, no matter what we are into, going into the future, next week, whenever they have to play the Tennessee Titans, who are a ground-and-pound team, who will try to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, which has been the recipe for success for teams beating the Chiefs this year, is just keep that ketchup-loving son bitch off the field. <laughs> they, even if they're down, they're going to have in the back of their mind, hey, last week, last week, what were we down, 24? Ain't nobody give a damn about what the score is anymore with the Chiefs. They know they got it in the bottle. Everybody knows they got it in the bottle. And I think them and the Titans are going to be an awesome game. And I every time Patrick Mahomes gets the ball, I'm excited for it. But that call of not checking out of that fake punt by Justin Reed there is going to ultimately be the deciding factor on why Billy O'Brien is no longer the Houston Texans coach, amongst other things. Among, not having a play ready on a fourth and one. Uh, uh, dumb, da, dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> That's next level. But that fake punt is ultimately going to fall on the head coach's desk, as it should. And he can't be fired right now because there's no GM. But the McNair family is going to bring him in like the Jones family does and say, hey, pal, need you to get the hell out of here. For more reaction, we send it to Indianapolis and the boys. If you're Bill O'Brien, lie. Like, just lie. You can't. Admit that you don't have a play, a one-yard play, even after you take a timeout to then think longer about a one-yard play. Kicking the field goal is fine. Like, that's fine. But don't admit that you don't have a play on fourth and one. What? How many that's times? A, hey, that's a guy that doesn't have a boss. Correct. Right? Yeah. That's a guy that doesn't. Bill O'Brien is the GM, which Bill Belichick, Bill O'Brien. <laughs> Bill Belichick, <laughs> Bill O'Brien, head coaches who don't have GMs who act as the GM. He doesn't have a boss. So whenever he goes up, there's nobody like for him to like think like, oh, I got to impress this person. Mm -hmm. I, I, the McNair family, when was the last time you heard them speak? Never. I think they don't. I'm not even sure they live in Houston. <laughs> I, I think they might have moved to Tennessee. I, I don't even know if they're even around the organization. That is a guy that has no boss and no self-awareness. Now. Do I appreciate the fact that he told the truth? I mean, I guess we should because in our world, we want people to tell us the truth. But he sounded so stupid there. Dude. <laughs> so stupid. I didn't have a play. You called a timeout. What, you, you got that big ass shit in front of you. 40 seconds, you can't go, ah, glasses on. Ah, ah. We need how many yards? One yard? Don't we have one with J.J. Watt where we can just line up his big ass? And just hand him the ball? <laughs> Isn't there something we can do? It made no sense to me the way he handled all of it. It was obvious that guy had no boss, dudes. You mix that into with the fact that the Texans went for it on fourth and one this year more than any other team in the <laughs> NFL. More than any other team. So he definitely has plays. They've done it. They're comfortable in it. Like, it's just, it's inexcusable. Do you know how many plays on that play sheet are designed to get more than one yard? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Every single play on that play sheet is designed to get more than one yard. The funny thing... 
that Diggs just brought up there that should be noted is that in football, when you design plays, <laughs> they are to gain yards. 1,000%. One yard is the least amount of yards you can possibly gain. If you don't have a play that gains yards or a yard, what the f- have you been doing? Billy O'Brien. That is stupid. And it's funny you brought up the Sorensen versus Reed angle there because I thought the same thing. If if Sorensen, you look across the line, white guy Dude. over there, yeah, I can outrun, outrun him. Reed? <laughs> Reed was walking back and forth as a PP there. Now, there's there's a couple reasons why he walks back and forth, by the way, because once you plant your feet, if you move again, they're allowed to line up right over the center. So you keep your feet moving so that you're not officially a set player, right? Because if you set your feet and then they overload the other side and you're like, oh, I got to get to that side, you go to walk again, they're allowed to line up directly over the center because you removed your position. It was a shift. Okay, so you see a lot of PPs like kind of walk back and forth trying to figure out where the overload is so they can decide which side they want to take on. Okay, that's a very normal thing. By the way, business on top, party on the (laughs) bottom. Looks good. So I would love to think that he was walking back and forth with that fake in his mind. He's like, you know, it's a divisional round. I never get the damn ball. I never get a chance. All right. Everybody's blocked. Yeah, that guy's covered. That guy's covered. Who's the only guy and give me? That white special teams guy right there? No way I'm not running this thing. All right, yep, let's go for it. Bang! I got to outrun a Caucasian dude for a first down in the division around the playoffs. Whammy! Perfect form tackle. Lunch fail. High motor. High football IQ. Coach's son Sorensen makes the tackle. Game changes from that point forward. We should also tip our caps to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. relishes that moment too mm-hmm. you know like i think that's what i like most about him is how much he relished the moment he was doing the gladiator are you not entertained mm-hmm. to the kingdom i mean down 24 zip no matter how confident of a human you are could bring you down patrick mahomes i don't think ever had any doubt when i don't get any doubt and all the people that were like you don't tell travis kelsey to dance whenever he's dropping balls too uh, Scott Zolak or whatever up there from New <laughs> oh, boy. said that he was <laughs> said that Travis Kelsey was like uh, he said some terrible things about Travis Kelsey mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. first quarter. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Well, Travis Kelsey have seven touchdowns by the end of the day. Yeah, I think he three. Had seven touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, that whole New England area hates Travis Kelsey just because he was compared to Gronk a few times. It's been a tough month. But it's the, been a tough. Month. The only time the Texans stopped Patrick Mahomes was on the first two drives when there was two drop balls on third downs that were definitely going to be first downs. I don't like that they got a block punt there on Colquitt. Uh-huh. That was the center of Winchester just giving up his block too early. That guy just fed through and kept him moving. Then the muff by Tyreek Hill. A lot of people were like, why was Tyreek Hill back there? He hadn't returned a ball all year. Tyreek Hill <laughs> is the only returner in the history of the game that Shane Leckler walked up to me before a game. Shane Leckler, who has punted since 1925 in the NFL, <laughs> walked over to me before the game the first year Tyreek Hill was in the NFL. He looks at me right now and he goes, uh, I said, how you doing, goat or whatever? He was like, good. You play Kansas City yet? I was like, no, no. Why? He said, that returner they have up there, his name's uh, the Cheetah, I believe is his <laughs> nickname. He said, when you get the snap, Pat, 
You take the snap, you turn directly to the sideline, and you kick that thing straight out of bounds for a zero yard. <laughs> and I was like, why? He was like, do not, Pat, Pat, I feel like it's my duty to look out for you here. Do not let that some bitch touch the ball. <laughs> I punted a ball on the sideline ticks, which is the little sideline markers on the side. He caught it. And before I could get my head back up to see where the ball went, he was already on the other numbers. <laughs> he was already sprinting past me. Tyree Kill, if he wanted to be. If Tyree Kill just focused on punt returning, greatest punt returner in the history of the game, bar none. You take that NFL all-time team, I respect the hell out of Devin Hester. I respect out of uh, uh, Josh Cribbs. I respect the hell out of all these guys. Back in the day, there only used to be one or two good returners in the league, right? Only like one or two. Only one or two teams truly understood the fact that if you have a great returner, it's probably going to affect the game. Then here in like the last decade or so, everybody's got one. Everybody's got a guy back there that can get it out of a tackle in a phone booth. Like everybody's got one. And when Tyree Kill went back there, it was just a different ball game. Uh, it was just a different ball game. Just like when Julian Edelman was returning punts instead of jumping on carts. <laughs> he was very good. Hey, Miko Hardman kind of sparked the whole uh, Chiefs comeback there with a big kick return, too. He got the energy flowing back on the sidelines for the team there. And that's funny, isn't it? Because Andy Reid. He's just like, uh, Tyreek, we don't need you returning punts, even though you'd be the greatest punt returner of all time. Because uh, we got this other guy that runs faster than you somehow, even though you're the fastest. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, sense, I think the scouting department in Kansas City also deserves a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. A lot of credit. I mean, they're going to have to pay Patrick Mahomes, so I don't know how they're going to be able to keep their pieces around. Defensive side of the ball also started showing up there late uh, whenever they needed it. That Clark guy, is that his name? Clark, yeah, 55? Frank, yeah, mm-hmm. Frank Clark. Clark and Suggs. Chris Jones being out, I think, was a big deal. Huge. Yeah. I think I think that was a much bigger deal than I imagined. I didn't know he was out, to be honest with you. The fact that he was kind of changes some things. But that defense started playing late. But the McCole Hardman guy, he, he's faster than Tyree Gilson. How how's that happen? <laughs> how's that happen? I don't know, because I mean he he made the Pro Bowl as a returner, right? Yep. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And they have the greatest returner of all time on the team. He doesn't even have to. But he didn't look comfortable catching those punts. No, he did not. Anger must have been bringing some time. We interrupt the program to let you guys know that there's this guy in Philly that we've been hearing about for years, and uh, we've been telling you all about his diamonds. If you've ever been to Philly, you've seen it on billboards, you've heard it on the radio, I hate Steven Singer. He's been making it too easy to buy gifts for over four decades. I know we just made it through Christmas, but Valentine's Day is right around the corner. You're probably thinking, I'll just get her flowers again. But flowers die and end up in the trash within a week, no matter what. Give her a gift that lasts as long as your love. A real 24-karat gold-dipped rose from Steven Singer Jewelers. Picture it, a real long-stem rose preserved and dipped in 24-karat pure gold. This real rose will last forever and comes with a lifetime guarantee. It's shipped for free in a beautiful gift box with your own personalized message of love. These roses won't wilt or die. They don't even need water, and they will remind her each and every day of your love. If this is your first, Steven's signature red rose is a classic and only 59 bucks. Yeah, only 59 bucks. Go online to IHateStevenSinger.com, click on the roses, and become a hero this Valentine's Day. That's IHateStevenSinger.com, that's Steven with a V, 
IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers. One place, one price. Imagine if they played four quarters. They would have scored 100 points. They would have scored 100 points yesterday if they would play four quarters like they played. And the only way the Titans – hey, hey, we didn't even talk about the Titans. How about the Titans beating the Ravens like the way they beat the Ravens? Incredible. I mean, the, Lamar Jackson is 508 yards. He scored 12 points. 508 yards. They were, they were inside the Tennessee 48 times. 12 points. And Derrick Henry, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) What what do you? What Earl Thomas said. Earl Thomas said, (laughs) "Those guys up there look like something." I'm paraphrasing here. Those guys up there in New England didn't look like they wanted to tackle. It will be different here. And I, hey, I agree that Baltimore Ravens defense has been insane. But then that situation happened with Earl Thomas, and you can't help but think that Derrick Henry remembered him saying that. While he was going for the second shove, which wasn't needed, wasn't needed, but he just pushed him in his back to help him run further ahead there. <laughs> Pat, he well, stiff armed him so you hard. You dive at his legs, you just get hit like you're you're hanging out of something and hits. I mean, he's just, what do you do? And nobody's paid him yet. Yeah. He's 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 going to be the running back that brings back the massive salary contract offer before having to hold out and all that stuff. I think because. He deserves now that offensive line is very good. They got that Los Angeles Rams guy that the Rams wouldn't pay. Taylor Luan is all the way back. That offensive line is very good, but they can just control the ball whenever they want. And Ryan Tannehill, somehow, some way, has become this incredible quarterback, having good touch, but a good decision maker. And some might call him a game manager or whatever, but every quarterback's a game manager. And if you manage wins, who gives a damn about anything else? I think Tannehill will be the guy. All right. Said this a couple times. I said it about Luck. I thought he might do it. We said it about Jameis Winston. Thought he might do it. I think Tannehill will take a reasonable contract with the Tennessee Titans to continue to build up that team and keep a good team around him. I think I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be that guy. I think Tannehill has already got his big big payday for Miami. I think he's excited to be in a position he's at. I think he enjoys winning football and the team that he's currently on and the culture. And I think he'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be potentially be, you know, he's AFC Championship quarterback or whatever. Potentially going to the Super Bowl if they pull off some feet like they pulled off beating the Ravens. I mean, nobody thought the Ravens were going to lose. If they if he does that, I would assume there's some people that are like, hey, you're going to have to pay Tannehill a lot, a lot of cash. What if he's just like, yeah, yeah, cool, pay me a lot of cash. Like, uh, $15 million a year, $20 million a year, $15 million a year. I'll be your quarterback next five years. Pay that guy behind me a lot of money. Let's keep this offensive line going. And let's just see if we can continue to be – exactly what the Ravens were thinking without having Lamar. Let's run the ball. Let's have great defense. Let's have attitude. And that's what the Titans have become. And it's just like, that seems like a winning recipe as long as, because you you keep those high scoring, air it out quarterbacks off the field or the incredibly explosive quarterbacks off the field. It's just, that tight, what if the Titans get a win this weekend? It's really possible, I think. You mentioned it earlier. They do kind of have the team of destiny feel right now. They do. Yeah. No one has given them any shot whatsoever to win either one of their games so far, and they've they've physically dominated both games. How about Dom? Hey, like physical. Yeah. Dude rushed for over 180 yards, I think. Yeah, yeah. And threw for a touchdown. Yards? He stiff-armed <laughs> Earl Thomas so hard, he turned him into his own lead blocker. It was amazing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And I think that second one he did because Earl Thomas said that we're not going to be scared to hit it. Like, I think he even 
Oh, I yeah. didn't even remember that. I was like, oh, yeah. That's, I thought I I thought I heard something. I thought you guys, he's an ant. What do you do to him? You dive at his legs? Mm-hmm. I get any amnesia. I tried to, I, I, one time I went to tackle Antonio Cromartie, and Cromartie runs high knees. Man, he, he knee drive. I mean, he's a sprinter. Antonio Cromartie was a sprinter. That's why he was such a good returner, because he could get fast. He could get his fastest very quickly. He was just striding out. He hit a hole. And I want to tackle him right up high. One tackle him up high. And I slid down to his knees. My my jaw, <laughs> my jaw got pez dispensed. Like little bang, 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 bang. Until I tackled him. He ended up down. But I thought I, I, I might get CTE just from that. I couldn't even fathom like Derrick Henry trying to. But I could. It would be a. What do you do? He's, what do you do to the guy? He's playing so good. That they're winning and Tannehill's throwing for 70 and 80 yards a game. No mistakes. No mistakes. Hey, Tannehill, no mistakes here. We'll take one shot, maybe. We'll take another one. We'll get it out of your hands a little bit so we can open it up. But just know what we're doing here. Okay, let's (laughs) head back there. (laughs) Let's feed him. How have they not paid him yet? And and on the other side, how long all year we've said, Lamar Jackson cannot throw the ball 59 times. Uh, when when I walked in to get up this morning, I was reminded that um, my big take after Lamar became Lamar, mm-hmm. right? After them, like week, whatever, eight, probably he became Lamar. Like Lamar started becoming Lamar Jackson, like captivating the world, mm-hmm. right? What was that like week eight, maybe week seven? I was after, week eight. After they lost to the Browns. I think they were three yeah. and two. Maybe yeah, seven or eight seven in that eight. range. Yeah, I think like week eight is when it happened. And that was after... He said that he he didn't like running anymore because people were just calling him a running back. So he took that personally, that they weren't complimenting his throwing ability, which was also good. So he and Greg Roman were throwing the ball over 40 times a game there for a little bit. They had like 45 or 49 attempts or something like that. And they lost those games. And then after that, they decided they became this offense where they were utilizing what only one human probably in the history of the game had, which was his incredible decision-making ability, throwing, and on top of that, the ability to have 10 blockers and the best runner on the field with the ball, which was Lamar Jackson. And they rode that, and they became must-see television, and they got hot, and they got home field advantage and all that stuff. And then when they got behind just a little bit, it almost felt like they went into desperation mode and felt like they had to air it out. It felt like they just got desperate. It's like you're gonna, you, can score, you can score 40 points right now. It doesn't matter how much you're behind. You guys could score on anybody or maybe – this is just the Titans' defense being so stingy up front that they didn't think they could move at all. I mean, maybe it could be that, I guess. But for me, it felt like they 59 times is like it's literally the seventh most pass attempted game in the history of the NFL playoffs. Ben Roethlisberger hasn't even thrown that many times in a playoff game. Eli Manning hasn't thrown that many times in a playoff game. He's up there like next to like Steve Young, Drew Brees. Uh, I forget who else. Like just Manning. Passers. Got, you know what? Like just guys that throw. Brady was up there. Guys that just throw. And it's like you guys had so much success doing something else. Just because you hit a little controversy doesn't mean you have to change that. I don't know. I might be wrong, but that just felt like that might have been a mistake, Diggs. During the uh, regular season, they were 8 of 8 on 4th and 1. They were 0 and 2 on Saturday night. Like And, and they were not good on 3rd and short either. That mm-hmm. was pretty much the difference in the game. Hey, you kicked that field goal, man. Yeah. You kicked it. Hey, you kicked, You got Justin Tucker, man. Let him get some shine. <laughs> Actually, I respect the fact that they stayed with that. They've been doing that all year. Correct. Mm-hmm. 
It was like Tennessee finally managed to make Baltimore doubt themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they changed like this. Like this, right? Because yeah. Lamar still got loose. He was still running a little bit, but it wasn't the same. It didn't feel like with the same authority. It felt like more, like you said, out of desperation than out of you know enforcing their will on the opponent. And even his balls. I, I mean, he, we, he had 508 yards. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, it's still an incredible game by Lamar, but I just feel like those should have been reversed almost. Like 59 uh, runs. The Titans, the Titans too. They were stacking the box though. They were putting eight, nine guys up and there. Gage eight. Yeah, but get- that didn't matter all year. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? All year, everybody knew that was going to happen. Uh, and Lamar was just making people miss. I also don't love that they because that drop pick. I mean, they probably score there, right? That that yeah. not drop, but skip off his finger pick. They probably go in and score there, and we're having a completely different conversation. So, I mean, it, it got to the point this year where if there was an incompletion from Lamar Jackson, like I thought something was wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was playing seven on seven. He, every ball, there was no balls on the ground. I mean, very rarely was there any balls on the ground. He would only throw what, like twenty times a game, but it was like twenty completions too. It, it was there, it was a lot of. And yesterday there was like maybe a six inches off, and that thing gets picked off. They're going to go score there. If that doesn't happen, whole different ball game. But the Tennessee Titans defense, very very good. I, I mean, very very good. If you can run the ball and stop the run, you win in the playoffs. That's been the saying forever. And the Tennessee Titans are proving that. Do you think the fact that they played in very few close games this year ended up kind of biting them in the ass because they just they just weren't used to like that? I mean, they were used to just beating the hell out of everybody, you know, with the exception of like two or three games. You know, I don't know about the close game win thing, but I think that I think taking off a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I just don't know. I was on a team that rested, right? I was on a team, we went 14-0 and then decided to lose the last two games by benching Peyton and everybody uh, after they played like a quarter. They would play like a, the first game they played like a quarter and they came out, last game played like a drive and came out. And then we had the bye week and then we played. And then we made it all the way to the Super Bowl and lost to the Saints. And I always wondered, like, if we lose that first game, is it immediately the bye week's blame? Because we were really, really good. Just like the Baltimore Ravens, really, really good and you decide to sit out, it's like, did you walk away from a heater? Like, should you have walked away from a heater? Now, granted, the bye week, you earn the bye week by being great, stuff like that. But that last week, they completely rested. And if it works, if they win right now, we don't talk about it Mm -hmm. at all. But since they didn't, you have to be like, what happened? Was there a little bit of rust? Was there a little bit of off? Were these two, you know, maybe their bodies got comfortable for a week off and you know what I mean? It's just like, you never know. You just, you have to second guess everything, especially whenever your wins cure everything. So when you lose, it has to get questioned. I think they might've forced Mark Ingram too. like Gus Edwards averaged seven yards of carry on Saturday night. Like forcing an injured Mark Ingram. I think you would rather have the hundred percent running back versus Mark Ingram did not look like himself. Mm -hmm. Hey, Eddie George said, Eddie George said he might be good now. Then as soon as he tweaks it, mm-hmm. it's over. Yep. And I think that's what happened. And I don't like that Mark Ingram was hurt for these two games. He was explosive and exciting to watch this year. And I, I enjoyed the, you know, the personality at the um the postgame press conference. I enjoyed all of that. But he is a vital part of that. But Gus Edwards proved to be very viable. I mean, that's good news for them, especially in a running team. If you have a couple running backs mm-hmm. that are good, that's good news for you. And Vrabel's gonna have to right. lose his member. What's that? Vrabel's gonna have to lose his member. Oh. No, no, no. He didn't say if we win, I will. No, no, I know. Super Bowl. No, yeah, but he said he would uh, do that to win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think that is a misconception going around. There's a lot of people like, 
T's and P's for Vrabel's P. <laughs> I mean, Taylor Lewan said you're going to cut that thing off after the game. I saw it. <laughs> what a, what an electric environment down there. Oh. Yeah. Vrabel talks trash to his own team, <laughs> to the other team. I mean, he he is electric. Then there was those videos, I don't know if they've come out this year, where he was wearing boxing gloves at practice, like going at the guys. That's like, that whole team is like, I feel like they are... Mm-hmm. Like, I think that whole team's ready to go. Like, you know, if, let's say, for instance, um, your friend is going to get in a fight in a parking lot, and you're, like, sending out bird calls like for <laughs> the people that are going to join you to go fight the whoever's going to be there, I feel like the Titans are a group of humans that if they showed up, they would all be ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're all, they all have that, like, Vrabel's mentality, I think, has taken over the entire team. And I'm not saying that these guys weren't like this before they got there. I think the people that Vrabel has brought in and has got there are very similar-minded individuals when it comes to competition as him. And I'm a big fan of it, to be honest. I am, I'm a big fan. Of, yeah, I'll cut off my penis to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got five kids. I've already won a Super Bowl before. I mean, there's Marino hasn't won a Super Bowl. No. I feel like I had an okay career. I was a half away from winning a Super Bowl. Never won a Super Bowl. He's already won a Super Bowl, and he's like, to get another one, he's like, yeah, yeah, cut my dick off for sure. <laughs> Take it. Get rid of it. Don't leave it. What are we going to do, pee? Don't need to. Give me a bag. That's what he said. That's the type of person, though, that if you're in a competitive environment, you would like to be around. Like, okay, that dude wants it. All right, I'm going to say that guy wants it. He's going to put on boxing gloves and box with the D lineman so they can get the head coach. He's not, he's hand. I, I like what they, they got a great mindset, dude. Great mentality, great mindset, great team. <laughs> Let's talk to a man who won the Super Bowl. He is a legend in the Green Bay Packer world and about to be a legend in your world once you hear him speak. A Super Bowl champ, an all pro. Offensive lineman, Chicago Bears, but mostly for the Packers, ladies and gentlemen, Justin. Hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm great, Josh. How's life for you over there? Happy New Year. Great to chat with you. It's good, man. I'm sad I don't get to see you, though. I was really, really looking forward to seeing your face. Well, I want to let you know, I'm wearing a seersucker suit right now from the top. I got gym shorts on the bottom. I'm down here in New Orleans sweating my balls off having the time of my life. Though. It's hot as hell down here right now, isn't it? It's thick, man. The, the thing about the South is, not only is it hot, it's very thick. I don't know how you people handle the thickness. Now, I'm down with the thickness, you know. Everybody's seeing me, but it is thick outside when you walk in the South. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hey, so uh, how was your evening last night? Did you have fun in New Orleans? Yeah, we went to some dinner with all these executives. I've never been a part of something like this. Me and Foxy, great question, Josh, by the way. And we'll talk about the Packers here in a second. We have to, or I would be a terrible host, and a lot of people listening would be mad at me. But I want to tell you, I was with all these executives last night at this little restaurant across the street. Only one television in the whole place while the final seconds of that Green Bay Packers-Seattle Seahawks game was on. So you got... You got like probably 10 of the most powerful people in ESPN all huddled in one corner, and I'm standing behind them trying to peek through their shoulders. Like, Aaron did it. I knew he was going to do it. First down, bad, great spot, bad spot, doesn't matter. So I had a good time. I, that's good. It sounds fun. I, I saw something on Instagram where they, uh, they had the yellow line, and it was actually, they had the yellow line wrong, and. Uh, they showed where the line actually was, which I don't think they get the yellow line wrong that very, very often. So this person might have just been a 
a huge Packer fan and trying to shut people up, but um, I, it, uh, it had it back Josh, a little bit, so I, I don't know. Josh, you know, every time on the television cast, they always say that yellow line is not official, but I would assume 99% of the time it's accurate. Though. Like, we kind of live and die. As fans now, we kind of live and die with that yellow line. We it's a great. It was a great addition to the game when it happened. Not all additions have been great, like the darker green grass that NBC tried there for that one game, and now they only use it in long situations. Not a good idea, but the yellow line, the yellow first down marker is a staple of our game. And although every once in a while reporters will say, oh, you know, that is not official or whatever, that one looked like it was clearly off, Josh. And that raised a lot of question marks there for everybody on the internet. I mean, it exploded. And poor Alberta Riveron, who I have dumped enough on, has made more than enough mistakes for the TV network, I think, to kind of set him up to fail here, Josh. I'm not sure how they can get a 99-mile-an-hour fastball down to the, you know, millimeter and a, a tennis <laughs> ball and a tennis match, you know, down to the to the millimeter. Um but they can't get a, a yellow line right in, in football. You know, I don't, I don't really get it. The technology is obviously there to get it done. So um, it's uh, the fact that we're still even using chains to measure and, and to figure out where the ball spot is. The guy just runs in and puts his foot down is very archaic. But uh, it's uh, it's funny. I, I'm glad they got the first down. Uh, they probably would have gone for it and gotten it anyway. Um, it's good to see Aaron. I, I love I love uh, Matt LaFleur putting the ball in Aaron's hands and letting him go win the game. You know, that's what Aaron does best. And uh, he's going to have to do that this week. So, uh, but it was fun to watch. Uh, you know, like I said a few weeks back, I, uh, I still like I like them, even though they're winning ugly. Uh, I think they got a great team and a great defense. And, uh, you know, you let Aaron get hot in the playoffs and enough people talk crap about him, he's going to get pissed off and be really good. That's a real thing, too. I, I'm not sure everybody is spiteful and has chips on their shoulder and listens to what other people say and try to prove them wrong. A lot of people say that's childish. I very much was like that. I loved hearing people think that I was bad or, or stupid or said something bad about me and then proving them wrong. I think there's a lot of people that have had a lot of success in that fashion. I mean, that that's just something I think that actually absolutely. happens. And Aaron has proved time and time again. Absolutely, Josh. There's people who always try to act like that's a childish way. Like, oh, be a professional or whatever. It's like, I am being a professional while being petty. Yeah. Get off my ass. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the petty. So, funny story about him and, and on our Super Bowl run, um, we were going to play Atlanta, and Aaron didn't make the Pro Bowl, and Matt Ryan did. And I could just tell during the week, like, we're going to beat the crap out of these guys. <laughs> because he was – he was furious about it, and you know he might not admit that in in uh, in public in his out loud voice, but I knew he was pissed about that. And you know, clearly Aaron is a you know superior quarterback uh, to Matt Ryan. I love Matt Ryan. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, little things like that drive people, and you know that's the competition within the competition. Um, you know that you get, and you get it from guys on your own team. You're competing against guys, uh, you know, that are next to you every single day. You're trying to be better than them, and that's the type of drive that uh, guys like that have and guys like that in the NFL have and whatever it takes to, to spark you. And, um, you know, I think he's pissed off at uh, the general masses right now and, and the mainstream media. Um, and I think he's going to use it to, to get hot here. Not me, thank God. But um, 
Whenever he needed to drop a ball in the bucket to Devontae Adams, he did it. Whenever he had to have a little patience with a guy in his face and find Jimmy Graham on a late little crossing route to pick up that first down and win it, he did it. Yesterday, he hit Devontae Adams, who ran some incredible routes right in the numbers. It, it felt like he had his best game to date, and that's good news for the Packers fans, but also good news for Packers fans. That running game, Josh, is a weapon. Aaron Jones is a monster back there. Uh, yeah, the guy's a stud. What's he? I think he's at 21 uh, total touchdowns on the year now. So uh, it's uh, it's great that Coach LaFleur is letting other guys uh, win games for them. Um, and, you know, he's, in those critical situations, you got to have Aaron Rodgers win games for you. But throughout the whole game, he's letting that offensive line who is badass win games, and he's letting that running back win games for him. And to be successful – in the red zone, the best teams run the football. Derrick Henry and the Titans, they run the football in the red zone, and the Packers run the football in the red zone. And I think that's been the difference. You know, they're not putting up crazy numbers, and they haven't all year. But they've been able to run the football in the red zone and be successful and score touchdowns. And uh, I think Aaron Jones has 21 total scrimmage, but I think 17, 17 uh, on the ground. So it's, uh, it's pretty damn impressive. Josh Sitton, big stat guy. I like the <laughs> analytics from the big fella. I like what you did there. Um, let's pivot now to another team that looked like they could run the ball whenever the hell they want. Everybody's going to talk about that Niners defense because they are phenomenal. I mean, they are a phenomenal defense. They have proven that all throughout the years. They had a couple games that were kind of, eh, didn't expect them to perform how they did, but I think Richard Sherman was out. Some other people were out. That defense right now is healthy for the 49ers, and they made Kirk Cousins and the boys look bad but i think the thing that i like most about that niners team watching them was it appeared as if they could run the ball however whenever in verse whatever set it didn't matter they ran the ball incredibly well against the vikings and that's going to be a huge part of this game against the packers josh yeah i mean you saw two weeks ago um the the saints couldn't stop the vikings you know running the ball at all and then they came and shut you know the 49ers come and shut them down completely shut them out i don't remember what Dalvin ended up with, but uh, I think it was somewhere in the 20s or something, uh, 20 yards, and, and that's the lowest total he's had all year, I think. So uh, if they're able to do that, I mean, they've got five first-rounders on the D-line. If you've got that and you can stop the run and you're sitting back there, those guys are licking their chops trying to get after the passer, and uh, they're going to be very, very hard to beat. I still love my Packers, but it's going to be very, very hard if, if Green Bay can't run the ball. And San Fran has shown when they're fully healthy, they can stop anybody and then get after any passer. I mean, even when uh, – who's the who's that DN that was out for a while? The free agent cat. Even, even when he was Ford? Ford. Yeah, Ford. Even when he was out, they were getting after the passer left and right. They've just got so much freaking talent uh, on that D-line. And, you know, John Lynch has built a team. You know, he won a – he won a championship with, with the Bucks, you know, with defense, and that's what he's done in his drafts. Um, and it's it's proven to work, and it's, it's pretty awesome to see the turnaround. Yeah, they had the second draft pick last year, and now they're in the NFC Championship. So props to, to John Lynch to kind of going old school and, and getting back to, you know, 90s and early 2000s football. I got a chance to talk to John Lynch whenever we called the Stanford game out there. His kid plays for Stanford. He's a big Stanford guy. I think that was a big part of him. I don't know about wanting the Niners job, but getting a chance to get back to that Northern California area was talking with him. Incredibly cool dude. 
incredibly cool guy. I would have thought, like, I always just assume that you can't be like a relatable individual when you're in some positions of power because you're a gatekeeper to people's success, a general manager. I mean, that's a big-time job. He was a cool dude, and I think he's very proud. He was very proud of the team that he built at that point. He has to now. I mean, he has to be incredibly proud of the work that they've done because in all three phases, they are dominant. That offensive line for them, I think, does a great job. Don't you agree? Yeah, I would totally agree. Um, they got the, uh, I think, the rookie right guard. They just got him back healthy from the neck thing. Um, the they got a young young right tackle. I think second or third year the McGlinchey kid, who I think they'll probably end up um, putting over at left tackle when Staley's gone. Um, but he's a baller. He he's uh, great in the run game. You see you see him moving people. You know you don't see you don't see guys in the NFL moving people, and that's what this line's able to do. They're able to move the the line of scrimmage. Um, and Lincoln Thomason, he came over from Detroit. I didn't think he was, you know, the, the, a world beater in Detroit, but he obviously fits into the system because he's actually playing freaking awesome over there. Um, yeah. he's doing a hell of a job. And Weston Richburg, before he got hurt, was doing great too. Um, but, you know, shout out to my guy, Joe Staley too, because he's, he's balling out in year 13 or 14. Um, you know, still like he, like he was when he was a young player. So they, they got a hell of a line. And Lynch obviously has built that team you know, from the inside out, and it's it's working. Hey, isn't it interesting, Josh, that it seems like anytime a Lions player leaves Detroit that they just immediately <laughs> get better at football? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've, uh, they've had their struggles up there. I mean, it, for, for a while there, it was like, all right, we can check both these games off when we're playing Detroit. Like, all right, we can <laughs> You know, you you go through the schedule at the beginning of the year, and you you know I always did, and you kind of project. All right, we're gonna. I think we can be sitting here at ten or eleven wins. You know, and it was always Detroit. Check that. Check that. Josh, we got to get to a break. I can't thank you enough for that. That was amazing, ladies and gentlemen. Josh, sitting. All right, thanks, Josh. You're the best. We interrupt this conversation to remind you that you can't put a price on feeling safe and comfortable in your own home. That's why our friends at Simply Safe Home Security are bringing you a commercial grade enterprise level security but for your own home. Think about the secu- the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. It's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set up your system yourself with no tools needed, or Simply Safe's experts can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Go to simplysafe.com slash McAfee today to get free shipping on your order plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash McAfee to save on home security today. Simply Safe dot com slash McAfee. Back to the show. 
I believe there's a guy named Gills. Gillis. Gillies. Pronounced Jill. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Jill, what's going on? There's no way it works. Oh, no. Oh, Jill. buddy. He's Jill. on there. Jill. Jill. I just talked to him, too. He's from Belgium. I need this guy. We have a quite an international flair on the phones. Dill, uh, I don't know what goodbye is in Belgium, but uh, guten tag, my friend. Guten tag. <laughs> the, he was going to ask about the Browns coaching search, uh, situation, which I have an actual real thought about here. Now, Kevin Stefanski obviously got outdueled by Robert Salah in a blistering fashion, I'd say, this past weekend. Right? I mean, D coordinator for the 49ers, Robert Salah, Kevin Stefanski, offensive coordinator for the Vikings. They're playing against each other. The Haslam's in the Browns organization and Deep Podesta released the fact that these two are basically the finalists for the head coaching gig. So everybody's watching, you know, that's thinking that they have to speak about these types of things like, okay, here is a perfect layout of who's going to win. Jill, were you able to hey, who's going to win? Who's going to win the head coaching gig right here? That's what everybody assumed. So then when Stefanski gets hired after Kirk Cousins and the boys look very, very average against Salah's defense, it was obviously a bit eyebrow-raising. And my eyebrow was also raised because, to be honest and to be completely candid, I had no idea who the guy was. <laughs> I did not know that was his name. I thought he was a handsome guy who calls plays for the Vikings, but I've never looked past Zimmer, for some reason, I think it's just my amateur mindset. I've never really dug deep into who the Vikings offensive coordinator is. I, that's just not something. Now, maybe like the Chiefs offensive coordinator, I would, I'd be intrigued by Biennemi. But I thought Andy Reid always did a lot of things. But then I learned, no, Biennemi is calling a lot of the plays. I'm like, you know what? That makes sense then that I would want to look for that particular offense's <laughs> coordinator. Never in my life what did I go, oh, the Vikings offensive coordinator, that's the guy. It, like, never, I don't think any of us did. There was a public meltdown at the beginning of the season because of the Vikings offense. The Kirk Cousins show was number one on all of the internet worldwide because he had to apologize to Adam Thielen because the offense wasn't working and Adam Thielen got upset about it. Then that led to Stephon Diggs, who a video released of him telling Kirk Cousins he's going to have to force the ball to him, relax. So I guess he's a much better guy than what a lot of people are saying. And I didn't say he was a bad guy. I said it was interesting he threw his helmet while up. Anyways, he almost quit. Didn't show up to practice. Got fined $250,000 because this offense was working. Now, the offense did get hot from there, I believe. It started rolling. Kirk Cousins started looking like a great quarterback. They get to win against Dallas. They win against the Saints. Massive victory on Kirk Cousins' arm. So I can understand that. that they're, but for me, the Vikings offense coordinator isn't like the, the desirable human here. Now, from what we're learning now is Dee Podesta, the guy that's running the Cleveland Browns out of California, last year he wanted to hire uh, Mr. Stefanski over Freddie Kitchens, but Haslam, who's the owner of the team in Cleveland, said, no, I'm taking Freddie Kitchens. That was a massive failure. Dee Podesta gets his guy. Now they're going to search for a GM, and everybody's saying Andrew Barry is the guy. Now, I know Andrew Barry. Andrew Barry was a scout for the Colts. Whenever Jim Caldwell was the head coach, and Bill Polian, he's this quarterback from Harvard, and he is a legit dude, legit dude, relatable, intelligent, can speak well, knows his stuff. Like, even when things weren't going great, he was around for the Colts for a little bit. Even when things weren't going great, 
the guy was always a straight shooter, a guy you could trust. He's probably going to be hired as the GM there. And you know who I think he probably would have had a little bit of a say in as his first GM position? He's young. I thought he should have got the GM job for the Colts there when it was open. To be honest, he was like 20-something years old. I was like, oh, my God, the Colts are about to hire like the youngest GM in history because I thought Andrew Barry was going to get the job. That's how impressed I was with Andrew Barry as a human and everything. Like, And everybody that meets him feels the exact same way. That's like Andrew Barry is legit. But now Andrew Barry gets his first GM gig probably – and they're not allowing him to pick his own coach, which is very interesting, right? Because now you're forcing a relationship. Even though Andrew Barry is a good guy, probably get along with Kevin very, very well. I would assume the GM would like to have a little bit of a say. And I honestly believe, and I was told that nobody knows how his health is, which I, did, I hope isn't the case. But Jim Caldwell was my coach uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. He was a good coach, man. He gets a bad rap because he was so boring to watch on the sideline. I mean, he was dry milk on the side. I mean, there was, but that was him though. He was a business. He, he took it as, a, hey, we did our job. Let's go. He never got too high on the highs or too low on the lows. He had to talk to me when I got in trouble. And it was like a, it was one of the best conversations I've ever been a part of. It was, I, I was always a big Jim Caldwell fan, but he got a nasty reputation up there in Detroit because he was boring and didn't show emotion. I was like, yeah, but behind the scenes, I think he's respected. Like he was very well respected in our facility. And now, we sucked a year, and he was gone for a whole new staff, and Andrew Luck became the starting quarterback, and Peyton Manning went to Denver and all that, and he went to Detroit, and they didn't win the Super Bowl for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> but I think he won like nine games, ten games, I think. He won nine games, and they're like, get him the hell out of here. Jim Caldwell is a guy that I think would do very well as a coach for the Cleveland Browns. Not that Stefanski won. I don't know the guy. I just admit it. I don't really know much about the guy. But Jim Caldwell was the type of guy I thought they were going to hire, like a, an older guy who has instant credibility with a little bit of a flex because this feels like you got a brand-new first-time head coach again. Is he going to be able to handle that? Freddie Kitchens was not able to handle it. It was obvious. They were the most penalized team in documented history. I mean, they were de there was just so much going on off the field that the field didn't even matter anymore, let alone the thought. Let's remember, a guy took off another guy's helmet and hit that guy with his own helmet. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I don't, I don't, it, and we'll see, we'll have to see, obviously, this is how this all works. But for me, I didn't, I did not expect it. I thought at least Salah would get it because of the dominating performance of the Niners. And when Stefanski gets it, I'm like... All right, here we go. Browns being the Browns again, Diggs. The dog pound doesn't deserve this. If this doesn't work out, I think dog pound knows they got it wrong right here. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't know how it works out. It could be a great hire, but just from the initial reactions of everyone, no one's surprised. I mean, this is just the Browns, and I. there's rumors going around that he got hired because he agreed to three-hour meetings with Jiz Jimmy Haslam on Monday. Now, what, well, yeah, what, what is going on? <laughs> it said hours-long meetings. Hey, I want you to know when you walk into this meeting, this is going to be out. <laughs> if we get everything done in the first 10 minutes, doesn't matter. You know how they used to say thousand word minimum or whatever mm -hmm. in your essays and you could have done it in what, 20? That's what this meeting is. We're going to talk for at least 120 minutes. You hear me? And if we go to a slew of hours, that's how it'll go. Does Jimmy Haslam think his input in the games is the reason why they're not doing well? And it's it's so weird. That's to, awesome if that's the case. Because if he thinks it's because <laughs> now this is this is awesome. This is if Haslam thinks his football IQ not being implemented weekly is the reason why the Browns haven't been good. I love the guy. It, I love the guy. It's so weird if that's the case because he came from a minority owner of the Steelers, 
And you haven't heard from the Roonies participating in any football operations since they took over the team. It's just owners, when the owners get involved, it's never really a good thing. Unless you're Jerry. Well, I mean, they Jerry put together a hell of a team down there. I don't know how much more Jerry's doing. Is Jerry doing all of it still? No, his son, Steven, does a lot of it. Yeah, Steven's always right there next to him, you know. Never behind him, always next to him. That's a sign. Because hey, you have him a little, little bit behind, that means, hey, the leader of the Wolfpack's right here, pal. <laughs> Steven seems to be right next to him, like in his booth and all that stuff. You know, they got people. The, his suite, by the way, is what? The most electric suite in NFL <laughs> owner's oh, history? Yeah. I mean, you have no idea. It's good. They're always partying. Whenever we played down there, Papa John's was up there. Oh. <laughs> Please give a Dallas hello to Papa John Schnatter. <laughs> and it was on like that 85-yard Jumbotron. Let's go, Papa John's here. Peyton, why is why is he over there, Peyton? <laughs> hey, speaking <laughs> of uh Andrew Luck was playing. That would have been nice if Peyton was on our team though, and Papa John was just cheering against him. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a wild scene. Hey, is that guy still eating forty pizzas a month? No more. way. Right? More. 50. more. 50. 50 now, yeah. That guy's that dude's out of control, man. What is he doing? Just trying what to feed the doing? team. I mean, he's completely alienated like ninety yep. percent of the country. <laughs> I don't I like that. He's, hey. he's eating a pizza and a half a day. I mean, you gotta respect it. Bro. Hey Pat. You can't. you can't. He's he's dumb dumb, bro. Dumb dumb. Papa Papa John, I remember when Papa John was driving that terrible car, throwing bad deep balls. Oh yeah. <laughs> Hey, Papa! You remember? <laughs> what a come up for that guy, and then just a whoo. <laughs> bang! <laughs> 40 pizzas a month. What were you going to say, Diggs? Hey, speaking of Cowboys and Steelers, how do you feel about breaking Hall of Fame announcements live on TV to those coaches? I love it, man. I do. The coward one, it got me choked up. Yeah. Mm. It got me actually choked up. I, and I tweeted this, and it only made sense to a certain group of humans, <laughs> but I said, Joe DiNardo and Bill Cowher were deities to young Yenzers for Amen. a long time in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's just, if Joe DiNardo said something, Joe knows. <laughs> and if Bill Cowher did something, Bill was right. And that's just how it went. When his big chin would get going and he'd be spitting in everybody's face, all of Pittsburgh would come alive. There'd be little babies in McGee's women's hospital standing up in their little crate things, <laughs> celebrating for Bill Carr spitting all over the place from Crafton. He was just a he was a living legend in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I, I don't think enough people truly understand that. There were some questions because he only won a Super Bowl or whatever. But I mean, those teams were awesome. They were must-see television, and Bill Cowher, since then, what he's contributed to the game, obviously, television-wise, has been pretty cool. I got to meet him one time, and I, uh, he was on the sideline of a Thursday night football game. I think it was Thursday night football. I forget who. Yeah, I think it was Thursday night football. And uh, he was, like, standing on the sideline. It was when I came out early, and I was jogging on the field. I think I was with Vinny. It was before we even had our shoulder pads on. It was just, like, a pre-pre-workout or whatever. And they were in between doing TV things or whatever. And I, uh, I was jogging down the field. At the corner of my eye, I saw it. I saw, <laughs> I, I, I saw the chin. And I, like, stopped, and I ran over, and I was like, Mr. Carr, uh, I spent plenty of Sunday with you, my friend, and I thank you for everything. And he was like, hey, from Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, you're plum kid. That's what he said. And I said, yeah, damn right, Bill, plum kid. <laughs> I just shook his hand and wa walked a different way. 
just a gentleman. It was a massive moment. Happy for him. Very happy for him. And then the Jimmy Johnson thing. Troy watching along. Oh, it was awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Crying. I mean, it's just, you know, the Hall of Fame, I've always knocked a lot of things, right? I, I think anything that's subjective to human decision is always going to be flawed, right? Because egos, pride, mm -hmm. things like that. So that's why I don't get that offended whenever, you know, like all pro or anything like that. Like, it's, like I want to tell people, like, these don't mean as much as anybody makes them out to be, right? But the Hall of Fame is just a different, it's just a different class. It's a different world. It's the team of teams, you know? And that's what everybody looks to get into. And I, I think for him, it's massive. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and watching Troy cry like that was really cool. But is there anybody better than Terry Bradshaw at a celebration? <laughs> <laughs> the national championship just went final. The LSU Tigers are your college football playoff national champions. What a performance from Joe Burrow and the rest of the LSU Tigers. And hats off to Clemson. They had an unbelievable season as well. And hats off to Cheez-It, the official sponsor of the college football playoff. What a year it has been for college football, for bowl games, for the playoff. And the only thing that was more satisfying than the play on the field was enjoying a cheesy, crunchy, satisfying snack from Cheez-It while watching the games. And listen, just because... Bowl season is over. Doesn't mean you have to stop enjoying Cheez-It crackers whenever you're trying to have a delicious snack. Nothing goes better with football than Cheez-It, and we still have a little bit of football left this year. And if you really want to maximize your enjoyment of watching those games, we'd advise that you do it with the cheesiest, crunchiest, and most satisfying snack available, and that's Cheez-It. So shout out to Cheez-It. There is never a bad time to enjoy a Cheez-It cracker. And um, I'm going to need to go get a few more boxes because I polished off the rest of my supply tonight watching that electrifying national championship game between Clemson and LSU. There's a guy in here that says the bowl season's stupid. Diggs, you said you can fix college football. I don't know if it needs to be fixed, by the way, but you just have this concept that you say is going to make college football bowl season much better. No, as someone who loves college football and used to love bowl season, I do think it does need to be fixed. 23 of the 35 bowl games this year, ratings were down. Mm -hmm. Two playoff games, ratings were up. So obviously people care about the playoffs, so why not make the playoffs bigger? Like the oh hey that's smart by the right? way right that's just good business like, hey, people care about this they don't care about that let's make this bigger and make that smaller like the January one games this year were actually pretty good but it was hard to care about them unless you were gambling on it so here is my fix the regular season ends Thanksgiving weekend like it currently does with with rivalry weekend okay, okay. and then here's the one where the old whites and a lot of people are going to be upset that next weekend. There's going to be no no conference championship games. Oh, you can't. Hey, Tony. you can't take away conference championship football for me, Bucko. Well, let me explain. I live for you ever <laughs> been to the SEC championship? It's Super Bowl. SEC championships bigger than the damn Super Bowl. Diner in the South, dumb dig, Yankee <laughs> Northern guy. 
Well, stick with me here. The NFL's doing quite all right, and they don't have divisional championships. Just do better in the regular season. If you need the conference championship to get into a 16-team playoff, that's on you, okay? And then, so that that weekend will be off and the weekend after because you got to have Army Navy in there one of those weekends, and you got to have two weeks off for finals. Let's just let's yep. let's let the schools be okay with that. Student athletes, student athletes, student student human athlete. Yes, student, student human, human athlete. Yeah. So then the third weekend is when the playoffs start. 16 teams, higher seed gets home field advantage. Okay? So the higher seeds, you did... Who's seeding them? Huh? The college, still, the, still the same committee who does the college football playoffs now. I'm cool with them. So you You're did, cool with them? Everybody hates them. Yeah. <laughs> you're cool with them? In this format, I think they could pick 16. That's fine. If you're going to complain about being 17, that's on you. So at least <laughs> you're rewarded for doing good during the regular season. Higher seed gets the, the first round home field, okay? Then we go to the next round. Elite Eight is played at the Orange Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Cotton, and the Rose Bowl, just like it, that's how it was this year. So that those bulls still get their money. Everyone still has, has those things, so they're not upset about that. That's all still there. And then the, I like the idea for the Final Four, which this year the two playoff games were the Fiesta and Peach. I like how the NCAA basketball does it, where it's in the same city. So I like a Friday, Saturday, same city for the semifinal games. Obviously, you're going to have to do it in a turf city. So like Vegas, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Dallas, one of those cities. Because you can't play on grass back-to-back days. That's just You just can't do that. Can't do it. You just can't do that. And then the championship game is still played on the same Monday that's currently played on. So you're not extending the season any. So no, no reason to be mad at that. And then... If you're Clemson and LSU this year, you're playing 15 games to win the uh, national championship. If in my format, you have to play 16 games. So, I mean, one extra game. Are we really going to cry about that? These kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. They can handle it. And I think, you know, you still have your other bowl games that people can bet on, blah, blah, blah. But making more games that people care about, I think, is good overall for the entire billion-dollar industry. And that's how you save uh, bowl season. Hmm. Boy, Tony. Hey. Boy, Tony. You did it. I wish I was the type of host that would just be like, well, you're wrong. And let me tell you why. <laughs> well, why? I mean, championship weekend is going to be tough for some people, but. I have a question. Yeah. So you said one through 16, they're seated. So who does one play first game? 16. So you're going to waste. LSU's time playing, let's say, Iowa. Maybe. I mean, a lot of people thought... Oh, they, Iowa didn't deserve that. No, I didn't. Ten one team this year. Well, I just hey, looked, and they uh, finished 16th. Well, a lot of people... AP a lot of look at so. LSU, hey, look at LSU-Oklahoma, though. I mean... That's one in four. Like, anything could happen. A lot of people thought the Tennessee Titans were wasting their time going to Baltimore, too. I mean, you, you take away... Would, now... <laughs> <laughs> we do have to be realistic here. Like, the disparity between... College yeah. and other colleges is vast. And although I think it should be eight teams, I respect your 16th. It's never going to happen. No. no. I don't think 16 is ever going to happen. Getting it to four was like colossal, paramount almost. Because it used to be. So there's people that don't remember the BCS system. They, the NCAA sold their right to declare a champion to this BCS committee that was able to select these bowls. And BCS bowls were everything. Like when we went to a BCS bowl for the first time in West Virginia, it was massive news. Mm -hmm. Like going to a BCS bowl, it's a big deal. We won a BCS bowl. Like that was a big, big thing. Nowadays, those bowls, unless they're the playoffs, they don't really mean as much. Like I was – it's just – it's very – 
they, they're going to change it. They have to, especially if they see ratings going down. And your way to save money, I think, is a good idea by you, Diggs. You're talking to the right people because oh, yeah. I think that's a large part of this student human athlete operation is how can we raise the funds to make sure these kids are playing with the greatest facilities to ever mm-hmm. be made, even like spaceship-type facilities at these places and these stadiums are worth six seven billion dollars like you got to make sure you make the money so i was smart by you i don't think it'll go to 16 but i like your thought of expanding and i'm all in on the eight five conference champions and then three at large that the committee can pick but i like 16 i didn't mind it i didn't hate it actually i thought you were pretty smart there Diggs. i'm proud of you for uh thinking that out all right that's the show uh thanks to everybody for listening If you watched the national championship last night, stick around, pay attention to Pat's Twitter to uh, see what the deal is with any potential giveaways. Uh, Tweet us, everyone at PMI. Tweet us something funny. Uh, Pat and Foxy are going to get back to Indianapolis incredibly late this morning. This game probably isn't going to end until well after midnight. I assume Pat's going to be exhausted tomorrow, so send him some tweets, make him laugh. I know he'll appreciate it. We are back to business as usual the rest of this week, and uh, thanks again for rocking with us. We'll see you guys on Thursday.